Warriors, and welcome to another episode of Chevrons, a podcast for the enlisted force by the enlisted force. I'm Tim Sandlin from the 102nd Intelligence Wing Public Affairs Office, and I would like to welcome my teammate and co-host, Chief Master Sergeant Sean Sullivan. How's it going, Chief? Oh, it's going outstanding, Tim. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Chief. Um, but it's a very somber episode of Chevrons, and uh, would you like to, to, to say why, or should I? Wow. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to believe, but it is my last episode of Chevron's because I retire next month. Uh, so I never, um, I can't say you never really planned this day to come. Uh, when I hit my 20-year letter almost 15 years ago, uh, I wrote my retirement speech then and I just added a line every year knowing full well that that day would come and trying to be prepared for it both mentally and and. But when you look around the corner, you're like, wow, it's less than 30 days away. Uh, there's no amount of preparation for that. But that's why I wanted to get on one last episode and talk a little bit about how it all began and, and where sure. it went. Because, I mean, this, this whole thing that we started was just, uh, I walked in with an idea with you. And the next thing you know, you said, yeah, and you're going to be the co-host. And then, bang, we're, yep. we're here four, four something years later. Yeah, yeah, four years later. It's pretty close, yeah. Uh, this is... We're, we're in the 30s for episodes. Mm, wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it goes by quick. Yeah. So uh, true to form, since you were kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're the, the uh, co-host, but you're also a guest today, um, let's do what we always do. But let's do it, you know, in summary. Um, I want a little bit about your military background. So what I was, because, you know, you've, you've mentioned it and you talked about it a number of times on the show, but just to, to keep it in a summary form, how many years in each branch and then run through your list of jobs? Wow. Okay. Uh, Marine Corps was five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a four-year enlistment then extended out to, to just extend out for a year and a half to do another deployment, a few more things. Then uh, almost 11 years in the Army, mm-hmm. and now I came in in 2009 uh, into the Air Force, so uh, about another 15 here. So. Okay. And what was your very first job wearing, wearing chevrons on your sleeve? Um, it was at the Battle of Thinopoly with uh, King Leonidas. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, sometimes I like to joke and say my first uniform was a loincloth and a sword because it, it just seems like it's been that long ago. It, the, the funny story is I started off enlisting in the Navy. So I guess you could say I touched all the branches of the service. So right after I passed the ASVAB, because all I ever wanted to do was be a warrior. So after I passed the ASVAB, I went to the recruiter's office with my mom. Now, my mom was uh, retired. Uh, well, not retired, but she she had spent uh, 10 years in the Air Force. She was a, a nurse. And so she was leading me through the military process. I, she was going to pick everything for me. So I took my ASVAP and my scores were really, really well. And she took me right to the Navy recruiter and they were like, your, your, you, your scores qualify you for anything. Would you like to be a reactor technician, a nuclear reactor technician on a submarine? And I'm like, I didn't even have a voice in it. My, my mom was like, yep. You know, we had a power plant in Plymouth and she's like, yep. She had my whole life planned out for me right sure. there. And it was about four months later, a couple weeks before I was getting ready to, um, to go to MEPS and to, you know, swear in. And the recruiter wasn't there, the Navy recruiter, but the Marine Corps recruiter was, he was the only one in the building. 
And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't find the Navy guy. Like, yeah. He goes, what are you doing today? I go, well, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing school today. And he goes, oh, let's go to McDonald's. And so he bought me lunch at McDonald's. And then he's like, hey, let's go to the arcade. We dropped some coins at the arcade. Hey, let's go back to the office and watch some movies about uh, what the Marines do. Needless to say, in about about 15 minutes worth of movies, he had me convinced to go when I go to swear in. He was going to pick me up, and we were going to do the Marine Corps thing, and we kind of we kind of fast-tracked that, didn't let my mom know. Oh, that was going to be my next question. And, nope, she did not know. Uh, and then I uh, swore into the Marine Corps and open contract because he told me with your ASVAP scores, you qualify for everything. And if you've ever seen in full metal jacket when they're all sitting there in the squad bay floor and the lead drill instructor is going, you know, you know, so-and-so. Yeah. Yeah. This is your job. And so-and-so it's exactly like that. That that's real. That, that, I don't know if they still do it that way, but that's what happened. All the open contract guys are sitting there and all of a sudden I, I remember, uh, Anderson here, you're going to be public affairs. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. You know, Jones here, you're going to be aviation electronic mechanic thing. And I'm like, Oh, that'd be a cool job. And I'm thinking, wow, in my ASVAP scores, wow, what, what am I going to get? Uh, Sullivan, here, infantry. <laughs> I'm like, what? But I have to say, I, I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, being outdoors and just the team building, it, 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 was, it was the best foundation you can have for a very, very long career uh, is getting into something like that because you have to learn right off the bat how to think on your feet, how to do problem solving, um, how to navigate relationships. You have to understand strategic thinking. You have to, all that stuff. So, and that just built the foundation. So yeah, uh, I, I actually touched on on four um, of the branches of the service one way or another. Wow, that's that's crazy. Uh, so uh, I presume that uh, when you left the Marine Corps and, and joined the ranks of the Army, uh, that's when you had another job pivot. Oh, yes. Uh I went into the, uh, I, I got out of the Marine Corps for no other reason than to finish college. I had managed to accumulate uh, two years worth of schooling when I was in the Marines through you know, various programs and night schools. And it was a little bit different back then. They didn't have all the, you know, the ways that you can go to school online. Uh, but there were a lot of opportunity and I was building up credits. And my commander suggested that, hey, you know, the Marine Corps could use good officers. Why don't you get out, finish off your school and come back in? You know, there's always programs out there. I was, uh, I was home, I was on my terminal leave, and out of the blue, I can't remember where I was, but I ran into a Army recruiter, and I saw the uniform, yeah, I, I'm in, I'm just getting out of the Marine Corps, oh, what do you do? You know, we had that conversation, he's like, well, what do you want to do that for? And so he, he got me to sign up for uh, the Army National Guard, and he was like, yeah, we have programs here where your tuition's free, and I'm like, ooh, that would help. Uh, you know, just all those other benefits. Uh, so I started over at, uh, well, well, I started in the chemical company um, uh, up in uh, Woolburn. And then I realized I live in Sandwich and there's helicopters there. And I ended up over there doing, uh, then I ended up in a, um, they call them armory supply, but it's kind of like where they put you where they're trying to figure out what they want you oh, to sure. do or what you can do. Uh, they found out I had... Um, experience as a firearms instructor and some other things. So I was doing just all kinds of stuff to help out. And then somebody say, take the, took, you know, told me to go take the ASVAP test, see if you could be a pilot. And then I did that. And long story short, uh, I ended up, um, three or four MOSs later, uh, in flight school. Um, I had gotten my commission, uh, at that point right here at the mass, mass military Academy, right, right out here at the OCS that they have. Um, so I was commissioned through, um, Camp Edwards and I uh, went to flight school and became a helicopter pilot. That's awesome. Yeah. So an officer and a pilot. Yes. Yeah. 
So um, did you do that for the, it's 11 years in the Army? Uh, yeah, so it, it, it was about three years in before I got to go okay. to, to flight school, you know, a couple of years as an enlisted sure. and then the year through that program and then a year in flight school. And then I came back and, uh, was, was flying here out of Otis, uh, right. Well, out of camp Edwards, but right over at the uh, aviation, right across the, the field from us. And, um, you know, going through the ranks, I was loving it. Um, but on the civilian side, I had become a police officer. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I had gotten into the SWAT team and I had been married and I had a brand new daughter and life just piled on. Sure. And I was at that point in my career, uh, you know, you're looking at, you know, navigating out of the company grade level and going into the field grade level and how's the rest of your career going to look. It was one of those, uh, something's got to give. Sure. Um, I can either totally invest in a police career or I can start guard bumming and you have all these schools. And I went IRR for a year. And then at the end of the year, I just, I just let it lapse and, and just let my command know. I just, it, there's too much. Um, yeah. Because at that time, we didn't have all this remote stuff. Right. So if you were a commander, you had to go in like every Wednesday for an admin night. Um, you know, all your drills weren't two-day drills. They were all three- and four-day drills. It was just all this time that came in. And my agency didn't have a good plan of how you were doing that time. So you had to swap with people. So, you know, before every drill, I was doing like four doubles in a row and then it, it, it was just time consuming. And so I stepped aside and that was in, uh, 97 and I stepped aside. Yeah. It's tough yeah. when you have dual careers, especially, you know, reservists and guardsmen will, will totally understand it. But you know, like, you know, the, the challenges of that trying to have two solid careers, trying to align them sometimes is, is a, is a real difficult thing. Oh it, yeah. It, it was, it was a tough balancing act and family life was suffering. Everything was suffering. And I, I felt at the time that I'm going to take this hiatus, but I, even then I knew I wasn't done. I knew that, you know, I, I had more in the tank and there was more that, uh, that, you know, it, it was just, it's the call of the warrior. It's sure. it's the only thing I can I can equate it to. It's it's something about the culture. The culture has absolutely zero to do with your job. It has nothing to do with schools you attended to. It's not about badges or patches. Um, it's about what's it, it's about what's inside the uniform. Right. And it was just I, I knew I would be back. I just didn't know when or in what capacity. Well, so you did come back and yep. uh, in the Air National Guard and the Air Force and. Uh, so, so uh, real quick, what were some of your jobs there? Oh, I came into the combat com. Uh, first, uh, going to be a ground radio uh, operator, so the ground radio. Um, uh, a little ways down the line, there was an opening in the ground safety. And I thought about it. And I'm like, well, that's something that, that interests me. That's the, you know, the safety office. Um, that, that, that sounds, you know, intriguing. Um, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of involved in everything. Um, and... But at the same time, your responsibility is to the people, you know, taking care of them in safe environments. I thought that was great. Uh, did that for a number of years. And then I had the opportunity to uh, make first sergeant, which is out of, out of my eclectic bouncy career, the only position that I knew I wanted to have from the moment I enlisted in 1982 was to be a first sergeant one day. And that was because that old commercial back in you know, yeah, 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 the, the army commercial. Morning first sergeant. Morning first sergeant. <laughs> I remember seeing that commercial. I had no idea what a first sergeant was. No clue what they did. I'm like, I want to be that guy. Um, yeah. I had the opportunity, and then I did that for a number of years, which uh, led to uh, making chief, which led to 
you know, being a command chief. So it, yeah, it's kind of, kind of a lot of bounce arounds. Um, yeah. but it, it, it's been a great ride. It's been an absolute great ride. That's awesome. And, uh, that is kind of what, um, the, the tail end of that career is kind of what uh, got us spinning up uh, Chevrons. Um, you're getting, yeah. you know, as a senior NCO in this wing, um, and then, you know, f- further on in the state, um, you know, coming up with, with ways to help the enlisted force, you know, professionalize and, and uh, you know, from, from mentorship to leadership and all the topics in between, um, that, that was the inspiration for this podcast. Absolutely. And knowing that there's such talent out there, uh, one of the things I had the opportunity to do as a first sergeant was uh, to be the, um, at the time, uh, the command chief master sergeant of the uh, Air National Guard, uh, Ron Anderson, um, I had got to know him as well as the functionary manager for the first sergeant field, uh, Chief Kitzmiller, who had been on this this episode we had her in for an episode uh and we built a a fast friendship and i was trying to help the first sergeant field and then chief anderson said hey listen you know this is a one deep office you know we need an alternate somebody who can step in and help out and help fill deployment lines and just do all this national level stuff and work with the fam and go around and uh, i had two two year opportunity to do that with her and that's what really opened up the aperture of how much talent that's out there and how you we, we sometimes fixate on where we're at and where that is at. It might be a flight. It might be a squadron. It might be a group, might be a wing, but sometimes you really need to open the aperture to see what's out there. And everything started flowing into my head. It's like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm talking to all these big brains and, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, walking around the Pentagon and I'm popping in and having a brief conversation with General Rice and I'm hanging out in, you know, Chief Anderson's office and all this stuff is just like, it would just like flowing. I'm like, I get the connections now. The synapses opened up and I'm like, I understand how it all works together. And then it made me realize that when I was a tech sergeant, I had no freaking clue. When I was a master sergeant, I had no freaking freaking clue. Right. When I was a senior master sergeant, I had no freaking clue. And I'd come back to the wing and I talked to chiefs, and maybe one out of you know uh, you know one out of ten chiefs would go, "Yeah, I kind of understand that." And I'm like, "We really need to get all this across, but we need to get the thinking across to the lowest level enlisted and get their perspective, as well as the highest level. And why can't we come up with subject matter experts?" That's where we had the conversation. I'm like, "Yeah, so here's this idea, you know, like we talked to like." a panel person, some chief or command chief or somebody who runs something. And then we'll have like a junior person there and a senior person there because their perspectives are different and all merged together. And you were like, oh yeah, I've been thinking about that. You know, you were kind of like, you know, thinking like what ways can we improve the knowledge? And, and we just had that conversation just all came together. Well, um, part of my inspiration came from, and the, the stuff that I was thinking about is um, back before all this podcasting stuff took off, we had our, uh, our, newsletter our magazine uh monthly the the seagull magazine love that magazine and um there was a there was a chief uh, or a uh, first sergeant's article that was put in there every single month and i remember working with you um and you were my conduit to the rest of the shirts and i would give you we worked up a list of these are the topics yep that we want to talk about we want the shirts to write uh, an article on each and every month and so that we could slowly over the course of a year, two years, four years, cover all these important, great topics about like resilience and mentorship and leadership and followership and, and all these different topics. And I thought, you know what, if, you know, it, 
that magazine ended up going away. We discontinued it um, just because it was so much work to put together each month and our articles were going out anyways. But one of the things that we lost was that first sergeant input every month to, mm-hmm. the, to the masses in this wing. Um, so I thought, you know, the Chevrons, we can hit those same topics. Yep. And it can be, you know, done in an audio format. And while we're doing it, why do we have to restrict it to members of the wing? This could be great for anybody. Anybody yep. that wears stripes, we all go through the same kind of experiences. The challenges are very similar, different branches of service and different missions. But, you know, when you boil right down to it, uh, people that wear stripes deal with very similar issues. Yes. And there, there is so much that you can see and learn and get on leadership from articles and, and everything that comes from a 06 or above level because all these great commanders and come up with all this great command stuff and whatever. But when you think about it, um, the culture of an organization is within the listed force. And I don't want to, I don't want to sound flippant because I, I love my time as being an officer and I love officers and they're very, very, very important. But when you look at like, particularly in the national guard, you have a commander come in and sit for what, two, three years. But the people they're leading might be there for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. So, yes, that commander is providing that direction, and they're providing that strategic vision. And the best of the best and most of the ones I have had the opportunity to work with rely on that enlisted voice. But it's the enlisted voice yep. that, that matters. It's the enlisted voice that, that's, you know, 65, 70% of the force yeah. and can make the most change. I learned straight on the, the biggest advantage I had was having been enlisted before becoming commissioned because my first leadership assignment uh, as a young officer in the aviation unit, um, we have warrant officers there too who, do, who are all our pilots. And then we have obviously the enlisted force. And I pulled together my senior enlisted and my senior pilot, my senior warrant officer, and brought him into my office and said, yeah, um, this is you all's flight. And this is, this is, you know, this is your platoon. Okay. I, I'm just playing through. So you help me and I'm going to help you. And we're going to work this together. We are a team. We are going to work this synergistically together. And it was just like it from, from day one, it was just like, yep. You know, uh, uh, we just all clicked because of that realization and I needed their feedback and their input because I couldn't lead crap without them. I, I, I couldn't lead anything. I'd be leading myself. And that sometimes happens with leadership is that, you know, you forget that, you know, you, it, it, it ain't about you. You know, it's about them and giving them the tools that they need to succeed. And then you're providing the direction. And where are you getting your direction from your boss who's getting it from his boss? And that also opens up that scope of understanding all the roles from where you're at in a squadron all the way up to the role of the Air National Guard as well as the Air Force and all the strategic. You don't have to base your decision making at that level. But once you understand the nuances all the way up, everything makes sense. And it's that synergy of having the enlisted force really, really involved, really knowledgeable, really understanding what's going on is going to make the job so much easier for the commander. And you and I talking about that and realizing it and then trying to put this out. I, the, the reason I love the podcast as much as I love the seagull, and I'm a reader, but you can't really convey the emotion, uh, the intensity as well in the written word 
because people are going to interpret a written word the way they want to. How many times have you written an email or a text message and somebody calls you up and go, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, no, I meant it like this. And they're like, you know, right. I took it like this. It's like, well, but when you have somebody, you know, speaking and telling you, it, it, it conveys more. And that's why I just love the idea of, you know, putting the podcast together. Do you remember our first guest? We aimed high. <laughs> yes, the, the command chief of the Air National Guard. <laughs> yep, Chief Williams. Yeah, Chief my, Williams. My, uh, my, my wingman and my friend, uh, you know, he and I have, have gotten to strike up a great friendship over the last three years. And I've got to work a lot of, you know, he's, he's included me in, on a lot of things working out. But it all started right here. And, yeah. and I remember first we talked about, you know, trying to get uh, Chief Bass in. Um, you know, that, that was more difficult. Uh, but he had, he had literally taken over days in advance and we had him right. on here we, we were his first wing visit by the way yeah. as the uh a, as the 13th command chief yeah that was, that was pretty awesome and we yeah. did the uh, the episode the week before he arrived yep. and so that everyone here could listen to it yeah. um and understand uh what he was coming to talk to us about yeah and that was that 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 uh, we started high and uh we've had so many great guests i mean yeah. i wouldn't even know where to begin we've had just so many great people come on here yeah, any uh, highlights for you? Um, I, I I thought that when we had uh, Chief Powers, who was the legislative liaison assistant, that was eye-opening um, because to realize how everything kind of works together, you know, it's like you're, you, you can't function, you know, without the political realm. It's, it's the way that we our country is set up and... and for all its faults and I mean you can look at what's happening now and kind of roll your eyes but it's there for a purpose and it's a very very valid purpose but having somebody implanted in there and understanding the mechanism I thought that that was great um I you know obviously Chief Kitz Miller being one of my closest yeah. friends and having her come in and talk about first sergeant fields and and whatever I thought that was great I thought that Chief Caulfield's story was fantastic but you want to know who some of the better guests that we have had are people that are germane to this wing yeah. I mean, you know, one of the episodes we had, I think it was Chief Caulfield's episode, we had um, one of probably the more popular uh, guests that we've ever had on Chevron's right out of the comm squadron. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, I, I, uh, I, I agree with you. Like some of our best guests are the, uh, are the younger junior NCOs that have come on. Um, we've had, uh, we had one from the space force. We had, yeah, uh, that was a good one. Um, we had a number of people who are really, it gives you hope for the future of the enlisted force to, 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 to hear some of these young folks talk about their service and, and, and their goals and, and what, what do they want to get out of this, this experience that they've found themselves in? Their perspective was probably my favorite, but. You know, like I said, how, how many episodes do we have where we had that paired up and we have this subject, subject matter expert, you know, E9, and we have an E3 or an E4, and they're the ones you're focusing in on. Right. They're the, I mean, just their understanding, their perspective, those were probably my favorite episodes all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, just to... to Step away from uh, the back and forth conversation. I've got a little game for you. Oh boy! I'm going to throw some of our topics, some of the topics uh, that we have in our what we call our topic bucket. Yep. <laughs> um, things that when we don't have anything to talk about specific, uh, we we try to draw from. So 
I'm going to give you a word, and what I'd like is uh, like a little word play here. Give me uh, like a, a 30 second elevator pitch. Cool. All on, right. On a particular topic. Let's do this. All right. Re- resilience. Oh, resilience is the foundation for your airmen. Okay, having that 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 resilience, that ability to acclimate is probably the single most important intangible, and I call it an intangible, the single most intangible of the enlisted force. So, um, and the other thing with resilience is to be resilient, it doesn't just take the command buy-in, it takes the individual buy-in as well. Because you have to understand your own limitations. You can't be afraid to take a knee. One of the things I see all the time, and I know I'm going over 30 seconds, but one of the things I see all the time is people love the Air Force core values, as do I, as do I. And everybody will go, well, service before self. Listen, here's the sully interpretation of service before self. Self is a selfish pursuit. I don't feel like going to drill because I want to game. Okay, that's a selfish pursuit. You are in violation of your core value. However, I am on the verge of breaking. I need to talk to somebody. I need to take a knee. I maybe need to take a drill off. That's not selfish. No. That is resilient. And with the command buy-in and the individual buy-in as a two-pronged attack, synergistically working together, we build a better warrior. So you're not going to build a good product, a good warrior, a good air force, a good wing without resilience being a key, a, a key aspect of it. It is a force multiplier. Uh, they say communication is one of the most important things. Being able to communicate with yourself is is paramount. Yep. Especially as you approach 60 years old, as I am, and have to be real and communicate with myself that I can no longer squat 500 pounds and run seven miles. So, yeah, it, it, it's a reality check. All right, next topic, uh, followership. Uh, followership is the key to leadership. I, I, you need to learn how to be a good follower to be a good leader. Um, that, that's the whole caveat. That is the whole caveat. Um, and... I, I can't stress the importance enough of of great followers making great leaders, but great you know great followers make leaders great. It it all comes down to that. But followership is a two way street. You can't demand followership, and if you don't want to follow something, then you know you're not going to. Um, so learning how to be a good follower uh, in communicate with your, you know, your leadership and understanding that leadership and allowing yourself to be led builds the foundation to learn how to influence and empower others to follow when you become the leader. So the foundation, building block number one of leadership is followership. That's awesome. Um, airmanship. You know, there used to be a, a, a poster that used to go around that everything I needed to learn about life I learned in kindergarten. To me, that is airmanship. Not that it's kindergarten where it, it's whatever, but when you think about the golden rule, when you think about treating others, when you think about, you know, humanity, when you think about everything in life, uh, zest for learning, whatever, that is in kindergarten. Okay, we build that foundation. Airmanship 
is the foundation and the continuum that builds everything that builds everything. Uh, airmanship is also a value. You value being an airman. You value being seen as an airman. You value all that. You know, like when you look at, at airmanship, it is the foundation of your development as, you know, an airman. You know, understanding, you know, the just, you know, the, the, the very, very basics, the nuances. It's not about the strategic level. It's about, it's about your airmanship. It's about all those things that we teach in our foundational courses and in ALS and in boot camp about, you know, about being an airman. And I oftentimes equate it to a line that um, I heard, I cannot remember um, who this quote comes from. I believe it was Alexander the Great, but I'm not 100% sure, and I'm sure an airman could correct me on this, but I believe Alexander the Great said that I'm not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I am afraid of a army of sheep led by a lion. Airmanship is the lion factor. That's what makes you a lion. It's not about how much strategic knowledge you have. It's not about patches. It's not, that's what makes you a, a true battle implement. It starts with airmanship and the fundamentals. It's kind of like along the lines of uh, the Airman's Creed. Oh, love you, it. You don't have to be able to recite it as long as you understand it. Mm-hmm. It, it, exactly. Exactly. Um, one of the things I used to do with our student flight when I'd meet with them is I'd go in and we'd break down the Airman's Creed and we'd take line by line and talk about what it means. But there has to be a personal meaning to the Airman's Creed. There has to be like, you have to have that personal buy-in. And the, the Airman's Creed is very important to me. A, a um, you know, a, a great officer and a colonel, um, you know, a friend of mine up at Joint Force Headquarters um, would would often say that, that he reads the Airman's Creed almost every day. You know, he'll pick it up and he'll just read it just to like reinforce who he is. And I just thought that was such a cool thing, you know, uh, of doing that. Um, and, See, to me, words have very, very strong meaning. I mean, words are so important, especially in this day and age. The words you read and the words you say. Because to make another quote, you know me, I love, you know me, I love quotes. You know? you know, words convey thoughts. Thoughts convey actions. Actions convey deeds. Deeds convey your character. So your character and your legacy all starts with the words that you read and the words that you say. You can read and speak the wrong words and you can develop into somebody that is, you know, not ideal or you can read and say the right words. And our Airman's Creed and our core values, those are the first words in our foundation um, that builds us. So, yeah, Airman's Creed is very important to me. It's the, uh, it's the beginning of Air Force culture. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It goes right back to airmanship. That's the first thing. Once you, once you see that and you understand it and you digest it and you provide personal meaning with it, 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 becomes your, it, it, it really becomes your, your, your compass and your map. Airmanship is your compass and your map. It, 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 really, it really is. You have no direction without it, and it's very easy to get lost. I mean, one of the things is an infantryman in the Marine Corps, um, yeah, we would do things. They drop you off in the middle of the woods and tell you to navigate. And, you know, it was kind of like for training purposes and nobody could ever get to where they needed to go. It's like, yeah, I'm going to follow the stars. I'm going to look at moss. I'm like, yeah, you know, you can figure out going north, but you're not going to get to a true destination. You give somebody a map, a uh, map and a compass and 
they can find their way anywhere. And that is airmanship. And that is our core values. That is, you know, our airman's creed. Great. All right. Well, and next logical topic for me is leadership. Ha. <laughs> leadership is 360 degree. Um, leadership requires you to have a purpose, uh, to have a motivation. Um, I remember my first leadership opportunity. It was as a young Marine. I was 19 years old. I had a whopping like 11 months in the Marine Corps. Everybody's on leave. Um, and uh, I couldn't, I, I didn't have any leave time built up. And I'm sitting in the squad bay. And Gunny walks through. And there were like six of us there. And some of the people had been there for a long time. I was the newest of the new guy. And I was a Lance Corps E3 at the time. And in the Marine Corps, Corporal E4 is your first leadership opportunity to a fire team. You would be in charge of three other individuals and tactical thinking or whatever. And he walks through, and the first thing he says is, who here hasn't had an Article 15? And I'm the only one who raised my hand. And he points at me, and he goes, you're going to a meritorious promotion board on Friday. Study up. And he walks away, and I'm like, What? Long story short, I ended up being meritoriously promoted to corporal for no other reason than I was the only one in the board. I think that if I had walked in, you know, with my uniform on in a heartbeat, I, I would have been promoted. I, 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 I make light of that. It was a very, very difficult board, and I, I mean, I studied my butt off for it. Everybody comes off a of leave, and there I am in charge of three individuals that had two to four years more time in the Marines than I did that were senior to me in age by four or five years. Um, to say that I was successful would be a lie. I failed miserably. And six months down the road, Gunny comes in, turns around, pulls me aside, and goes, "You are failing miserable, miserably, as a um, as a fire team leader." And he sat down and goes, "You are f- you are failing because of your motivation, your knowledge, but more so your um, your why. You don't know what you're leading. You don't know why you're leading them." And I thought about that, and to me that became the foundations of leadership, is understanding your why, knowing who you serve, and understanding like where you fit into the spectrum, and just, it all starts there, is know your why, know who you are, know what you're bringing to the table, and then, you know, realize where your stop gaps are. And then the final thing he said to me, and something that, that resonated with me from 1984 throughout my life, is that... You can either lead these people alone and fail, or you can lead them as a team and succeed. And I thought about it, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm trying to like lead them from the front, but we're all in this together. And once we sat down and we talked and we realized, you know, hey, I had gaps in my education, but you could fill that. And even though I was the leader, we led as a team and I found my purpose and I knew my why. It all came together. And those were the things that I never, ever forgot in any leadership position I had over that. Lead as a team, understand your purpose, and know your why. You can check off those three things. Leadership is not, again, we go back to the, everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten. You know, you check off those three boxes, you are good to go. All the books I've read, all the things, I've been, you pull nuances out of it. You like pull like little ideas and, and things kind of, but that's your foundation. That is your foundation. Good stuff. So, uh, let's see. I'm going to throw a curveball. Of course you are. Stump um, the chimp, right? Stump the yeah, chimp. Yeah, one that's not on our list. Oh, boy. Um, but I think it's a pretty easy concept to understand. Uh, and it goes right back to uh, the Airman's Creed. Um, integrity. What's, the, what's, what's that mean to you? Um, I bring it down to the very, very basics. Uh, everything 
that I do, I do as if I am being watched by every camera in the world. Now, if you set that as your foundation and you always have that in the back of your head, then you won't slip up on the small things, which makes you, you know, which, which increases your, your own personal integrity for the big things. Um, I use a higher power. I, I, you know, the, I don't want this to, to fall into a re- religious context, but um, I believe in God. I have an internal faith. Um, so I always use that as my hi- higher power, like I'm always being watched. But I'd always know that, you know, my mom who passed was watching me. And, you know, and right. I kind of like use that as my basis. But but once you can do that with the small stuff, you can conquer the big things. Uh, so, you know, turning around and um, having, you know, a, you know, like a higher directive, like... Like, like making sure that you're not throwing trash on the ground. If you're not just driving down the road and throwing your, your gum wrapper and saying, that's ah, no big deal, it's just a gum wrapper, and you're throwing it out the, out the thing, well, then you're not going to end up, you know, throwing out the big thing. Right. Um, walking by a desk and seeing a quarter on the desk and going, I don't know whose quarter that is, but, you know, I could use a quarter. It's just a quarter. Well, that quarter leads to a computer, which leads to a car, you know, like all these right. little things. So integrity starts with the smallest of the smalls and always having that philosophy of, you know, like, like, you know, I am being watched externally builds the, now I can watch myself, you know, so it starts with that, you know, you got to start at that, that foundational level. I don't need to think about, you know, God watching me anymore uh, for me to always do the right thing. It's become intrinsic. It's become just like, you kind of know. But it starts with that 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 first level of you know everybody's always watching you, so make sure you're doing the right thing. And then once you do that repetitiously, and it builds the reps, then it builds the muscle memory, so you don't even have to think about it. You just know you're going to do the right thing. You know, I walk down the street and I see you know a, a banking envelope with a business name on it, and I open it up. It's got ten thousand dollars in it. I already know I'm not keeping it. Right. I'm taking it right to the police department, or I'm going to contact that business, or I'm going to do something, and I'm going to get it to the rightful owner. You know, who would know? Well, I would know. It doesn't. It's not even right. a consideration. Exactly. Exactly. But it all started with the. Well, you know, God's watching me. So if I open up my mom's wallet and I steal that dollar, um, it's just a dollar and it's just my mom, but that just a. Well, and she'll never look at you the same way again. Exactly. And once you lose your integrity, you will never, ever get it back. Wow. So I think I'll leave the, uh, the, the, the word exercise there. Cool. Uh, that was a good topic. Um, so what's uh, what's what's in store for the future? Well, um, uh, I have been involved with bodybuilding my whole life. Anybody who who knows me knows that. Uh, anybody who's Googled me, you know, funny story about that. When I was on my deployment, the airman Googled, you know, Sean Sully Sullivan, um, and found so found all my bodybuilding pictures online. And as a first sergeant, I'm going and doing all the room inspections. And I walk into one of the airmen's room. And what he had done is he had taken all my bodybuilding pictures and changed the heads out to he and his roommates. There were three of them. <laughs> and so here's all my, and he walled the, their entire room, floor, bed, walls, ceiling. I, I mean, I should have, I, I should have been upset with him because they spent like, you know, how much money did they waste in paper? But I look at him like, ah, you know, so, you know, just a, a little funny story, but, uh, you know, it, nothing here nor there, but, um, I'd been involved with the sport, uh, since I was 13 
And about three years ago, uh, I was promoting competitions, uh, and the head of that federation um, wanted to build a leadership team. And we had long talks about leadership and how, you know, you need a strategic planner and you need an influencer and all these things for great leaders and all the stuff that we, you know, we learned in our NCO schools. And so he picked a team and I was on that team. Uh, So for the last three years, my three business partners and I have been navigating our little bodybuilding organization, Cottage Industry, into a superpower. Um, We have 115 shows in the United States. We've now gone international. We're going to be in Australia, Spain, Canada, uh, England. I mean, uh, you know, the list goes on. Um, So I am basically going from, you know, one one leadership role to another leadership role. Uh, But I I swear that um, God has blessed me. I have spent all my time in what I like to call the candy store of occupations. Uh, It's been a joy Every minute I've spent in this uniform has been a joy um, because I love airmen. Um, I love the people around me. I get, I get more from, from them than I could ever give. And I feel the same way now about the bodybuilders and the athletes that we serve. It's all drug-free. Everybody, you know, is steroid-free. When sure. We're really trying to keep people off the performance-enhancing drugs. We're pulling in a strong element of teenage competitors now. So we're providing direction for teenagers. So all these things... Um, are just repackaged and now put into the bodybuilding realm and the bodybuilding world. And uh, so that'll be that'll be my life after yeah. this. Sounds like, uh, you know, with the anti-drug policies of, of that organization, you're driving home the integrity piece again, once again. Amen. Yeah. Yep, and it, our integrity and our judging, and we've totally, you know, taken that over in our policies. It, it, it's um, the reason that we're successful is because the lessons – that I've learned through the Air Force and through leadership and through different schools and just through the military in general, we've learned how to apply to our organization. And two of my business partners are veterans. Um, you know, one is a uh, is a school teacher. She is exceptional. Um, and then one is a retired Marine. Another is uh, Air Force. And so, you know, we've kind of built this with that kind of a culture in mind, and it has just paid huge dividends. In three years, we have just... I mean, our growth rate has been like really off the charts. And so that has, that's another reason that, that I decided to retire a little bit early. I could have stuck around a little bit longer, uh, you know, up to another year plus. Um, but the time was right. It was time for new people to have the opportunity. It was time to move on so other people could get promoted. And it was, we, the, the state's in good hands uh, the wings are in exceptional hands. Uh, our airmen are in great hands. Uh, the stuff I was doing nationally, um, there is a huge talent pool of chiefs. Everybody, every, everything's taken care of. I didn't need to stay, um, so it was a good time to good time to step down. Well, with that said, uh, any uh, final parting words you'd like to convey? Yeah, just just one. Um, I started my career in 1982. And I came in as a young Marine, and I was going to change the world. I was going to make everything better. I was going to make an impact. And as I'm going out the door, I'm realizing that I'm the one that's changed. Uh, You're, you, the Marines, the soldiers, the airmen, you're the ones who impacted me. And I am the one that's different and is better from my experience. So I just wanted to thank everybody out there. Um, I retire on the 3rd of March. So if you're listening to this before then, uh, please swing by Building 330. 
I would love to see every one of you one last time and to get one more sh- one more handshake and just to say thank you, look you in the eye and say thank you one more time. Uh, but uh, but yeah. yeah well said. Been a great ride. Well said. So uh, we're we're gonna leave it there. Do you want uh, Do you want to sign us out? What <laughs> last episode is <laughs> the host? I do. Yes. Uh, Air warriors, thank you. Be safe. Be kind. Be brave. Selling out.